This week's parsha is Parshas Bereshis. We don't always have the opportunity to speak about Parshas Bereshis. Very often, uh, we have uh, we start off the zman with Parshas Nayach, so it's really a big schus to start at the beginning of it all. There's a pasuk in the parsha in Parak Dalit pasuk Vav. Vayemer Hashem El Kayin. Lama charalach velama naflu fanecha. Hashem says to Kayan, Why are you so upset? Why is your face so down? The background, of course, to this question was that Kayan decided that he wanted to bring a carbon to Hashem. Kayan was a farmer. And he brought produce as a carbon. He offered that up to Hashem. It was not superior produce. It was sort of inferior. And then Hebel sees that Cain brought a carbon and says, that's a good idea. And I also should bring a carbon. So he brought, he, was, uh, he had sheep, he had uh, cattle, and he brought from the finest of his flock, he brought as a carbon, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu turned towards Hebel's carbon, the one who brought the finer one, and to Cain he rejected. Cain's offering was not accepted. Hebel, uh, his offering was because it was of a higher quality. And when Cain saw that HaKadosh Baruch Hu rejected his offering, he understand, understood, understandably was upset. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks to him and says, Cain, why are you so upset? If you uh, improve, you do tshuva, you do things right, everything will be good. And if not, La Pesach And it's a fascinating response that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to Kayan. After all, Kayan could have done better, maybe should have done better. He brought an offering. That was a nice idea that he had. He was the first one, perhaps, uh, to bring a carbon to Hashem, although there are medrashim that say, of course, that Adam brought a carbon also. But Kayan sort of was mechadish, this concept of bringing a carbon to Hashem. And Hashem saw that, you know, it wasn't a great carbon. He didn't accept it. But he could have said, you know, why didn't you make it greater? I mean, how, you have so much. Why wouldn't you share your offering with me on a finer level? But instead, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes Kayin and tries to mollify him, tries to uh, ease his, uh, his concerns. Why are you so upset? Why is your mood so, gr- so glum? Cheer up, everything is going to be good. Basically, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving Kayin Chizuk. And I want to share with you today, this morning, a beautiful mimer from Rebbe Baruch Finkel, who was one of the Rosh Hashivas in the Mir in Yerushalayim. He, uh, he was Nifter decades ago, at a very young age, maybe in his early 60s. Um, 
and it was a very big tragedy for Klal Yisrael when that happened because he was really a, a tremendous gadol then, and he was only going to get bigger, a, a rising star in Klal Yisrael's firmament, a tremendous Tamar Chacham and a tremendous Balmachadish. His, um, his svarim are gaining great, great popularity. This is uh, what one of the volumes looks like. Misholchan Rebbeleo Baruch. I love these svarim. Uh, he has on Chumash, he has on the Mayadim two volumes, Chumash two volumes. He has on, um, they just put out a Haggadah this past year that was a, a runaway bestseller. And, uh, and he has, of course, Svarim on Shas that you probably have used, perhaps. Uh, it's considered one of the major Svarim today in the entire world to be used on the Yeshiva Shemesechtas. Uh, Rabbi Shmulevitz, our former Manal, uh, told me that he was Chavrusas with Rebellion Baruch in the mirror when he, uh, as, as Bachrim, I think. And, uh, and he said to me that, you know, he had such a, a kayach of Chiddush. He was a Mayan and Miskaber, like they would sit down at the beginning of the Zman, you know, you start learning the first Mishnah on whatever Misachta you're learning, and, you know, you want to get your feet wet a little bit, you learn the Mishnah, Rashi, Taisas, you try to start, you know, just getting your hands and feet into the sugya a little bit, and from like the first line of the Mishnah, before you even got to Rashi, Taisas already like spouting Chidush Taira. He had such a, he was so a, such a, an unbelievable reservoir of Chidush terror that he just was like unstoppable. And he has, you know, the svarim that are coming out now are, are unbelievable. Anyway, but I wanted to share with you this morning something that uh, I saw in his Sefer on this Pasuk, on this idea. And I think it's very relevant for the matzav that we are all in uh, now in Klai Yisrael. He says that from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's response, Lama Charalach, V'lama Naflu Fanecha, we learn that it's a, the mitzvah of Alachta Bedrachav, Mahu Afata, whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows is his midas, is what we have to try to make our midas. We have to adopt the behavior of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have to imitate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Just like Kadosh Baruch Hu is a Racham, we have to be Racham. He's a Chanan, we have to be Chan. He's Erech Apayim, we have to be Erech Apayim. But one of the first Midas in the Torah that you see that Kadosh Baruch Hu has of his many, many Midas Taivas is the fact that he has what we call being Neisei Ba'el Im Chaveroi. He has the ability to share in his brother, in, in somebody else's plight. It's very easy in life to say, Shalom alay nafshi, are things good by me? Everything is good by me. Baruch Hashem, I have a job. I have a chavrusa. I have a family. I have friends. I have money. I have support. I have whatever I have. I have health. So Shalom, I'm good. Baruch Hashem. Life is amazing. All I have to do is just worry, check the box, check all the boxes off that I need to be checked, and I'm good, I'm fine. And that's the way a normal human being behaves. If everything is good by me, life is great. But Klal Yisrael is expected to live on a much higher plane, a much higher level, and that we have to look at other people outside of our Dalai Amas 
and see how they're faring. Are they doing okay? Because if they're not doing well, then I'm not doing well. I might have a great job, but if my friend next to me in shul is out of work and he's struggling to pay his, his bills, then that's my problem. It's as if I am unemployed. I need to go, just like if I was out of work, I would go and network and find every which way to, to get employment. I have to do that for my friend who is out of work. If I see that my friend is suffering some sort of loss, a tragedy, a sickness, whatever the issue may be, even if I don't have that issue, it's upon me, it's incumbent upon me as a good Jew to be able to look at Yenem, to look at the other person and say, that's my problem. I want to help you out. I'm going to be here to, to schlep with you, to help you be nice ba'el, to, to pick up the load that you are schlepping all by yourself and to tell you that you're not in this alone. I'm here with you. Do you know how helpful that is for another person to know that they're not alone? I remember reading in a, in a, a book, one of my favorite books is a book called Joseph. It's a very underrated, un, unknown book and I've, I myself have tried to tell them to look at it, to read it. It's about a, a Sephardic Jew, a Syrian Jew in Brooklyn. Uh, a regular balabas, which is really why I like those types of books. I love Gedalim books, as you know, but like, I have a special appreciation for books that are not about Gedalim. <laughs> because very often, as soon as you hear, okay, he was a Gadladar, he was a Gain, he was a Bucky and Shas, immediately your eyes start glazing over and you, you can't like relate almost because like, Okay, I didn't finish Bava Kam Bava Bava Basra by six, and I didn't make a Siam on Kula by twelve, and I didn't have a you know. I, I, it's, so it's unrelatable to me, but you can certainly relate to a to a Balabayas that that grew up maybe modern Orthodox that had a very limited Torah background, but yet was a Godol in Sidkus. And this person, he was a you know a very wealthy Syrian Jew. And he could have very easily said, Shalom Aleinafshi, everything is good by me. But he went out and he, uh, he, was, uh, he spearheaded many great organizations, Svardik Bikr Chaylem, to help people that are sick in his community, to help people that are, that are unemployed, find work, build businesses, take care of their medical needs, their families' needs. And it's one story after another. But like one story that was a very uh, like poignant for me is that he had a friend and his friend was going through a terrible tzara. I think he was, um, his friend maybe was in the hospital with a daughter that was maybe in a car accident or very, very sick. And it was like three o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the night, early morning. And this friend was in the hospital and Joseph comes with uh, like a whole bunch of uh, food. Maybe it was like Chinese food. And he, and he basically brings it in the late hours of the, of the night, early hours of the morning to his friend and said, I'm here with you. We're in this together. And being nice about Chaver, you don't have to be a Gadladar to do that. You just have to have a, a heart that cares. And, and this person, imagine the person in the hospital all alone monitoring his daughter by her bedside and feeling like she, that he has nowhere to turn. And then like a knight in shining armor, this this very well-known person in the Syrian community is there by his side and bringing him food and bringing him chizuk. 
That's what Naisei Baalam Chaver means. He could have easily stayed in his home and, and you know, maybe texted him something or, or called him, but he went there by himself with food, with a smile, with chizuk. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, the very first story in the Torah. Hashem says to Cain, why are you so upset? Lama naflu fanecha. I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'm not abandoning you. Cheer up. Everything is going to be good. I'm here to bring you Chinese food and to be here with you and to give you a hug and give you a kiss. HaKadosh Baruch Hu cared to see that Cain was upset about something and rather than turning his back on him and saying you deserved it, good for you. This is what happens when you don't bring a, a great carbon like, like your brother Havel. No, no, no. Lama naflu fanecha. Lama charalach. What's going on? Talk to me. Speak it out. Let me hear what your problems are. And I'm going to help you through this. This is how we're mistabik in the midas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then he continues, Rebellion Baruch, and he says that and I never thought about this until Rebellion Baruch comes along in his Ma'irat. Like, what did Hevel do wrong? You ever wonder that? Like, Cain murdered his brother Hevel. But if Hevel died, presumably there was a tain on him. And we know there's an Archaim HaKadosh in Parshas Vayeshev that speaks about this very concept of if, is it possible to kill somebody and that person didn't really deserve to die. That's a very thorny theological debate, and it's across the board. There are many, there's yesh tzadim l'kan and l'kan, meaning is every time something bad happens, does that mean that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, Hu certainly perhaps knew about it, but to say that this is the Ratzon Hashem, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu intended for this to happen, is that always the case? If a person just kills another person, is that, you know, in an unexpected way, it wasn't a car accident, it wasn't a sickness, does that mean that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that to happen or, or, or had that that's a different discussion, that's not, it's way above my pay grade. The Archaim HaKadosh seems to imply that, uh, that it's possible to kill somebody even, that, even though he wasn't Chayev Misa. So if that's the case, it's not really such a question because Hevel died, maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to punish Hevel, just Kayin took Hevel's life. But if you don't hold of the Arachayim HaKadosh, so then it's taka, like, like why? Why did Hevel do that? He, he brought a beautiful carbon. Why does he die? And Rebellion Baruch says that perhaps the pshat is that he died because he didn't follow in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's midah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Naiseh Ba'alam Chaveh. HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Kayan was suffering. Kayan felt very bad when HaKadosh Baruch Hu rejected his carbon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and commiserated with him and gave him his proverbial shoulder. But Hevel didn't. Hevel should have said, Kayan, I'm sorry, you're my brother, I love you. Better, better luck next time. Next time, you know, we'll do it better. You'll, you'll, your carbon will be accepted next time and mine won't. Give him some chizuk. But Hevel was quiet. Hevel saw his brother suffering, squirming, uncomfortable, agitated. And instead of doing anything, Hevel just let him, let him wither and let him slither and, and, and let him be alone in his, in his plight. 
And maybe that's why he says, Hevel was Chayev Misa. That's the degree of importance that HaKadosh Baruch Hu places on being Naisa Ba'alam Chaveray, that if you don't go about caring about your friend, about your brother, when he's in his crisis, and you're not lending him a helping hand and a shoulder to cry on and, a, and, 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 and financial support and moral support, if you're not doing that, then that's tantamount to doing something that is on the level of a chiv misa. He says one other thing that I think is very important to, to see, and that is that Meruba Mida Mida Peronius. He brings a beautiful example of somebody that did respond to the call, that did see somebody else upset and went and, and answered the call. Now, if I were to ask you, who is that? I think you might all say, because the classical case of being Naisabalam Chavera, every schmooze on that parsha is by. Meshra Abenu, Meshra Abenu, he says that Vayigdal Meshra, Vayetzel Echa, Vayarbisiv Laisam, Meshra Abenu went out when Kla Yisrael were, uh, he was in, pa- in the power of palace, he grew up in the lap of luxury, he co- goes out, he sees his brethren slaving away in the, uh, you know, in, in the Egyptian, uh, you know, building mines and, and building Pissam and Ramses and how much they're going through. And he lends them a hand. He's literally Rashi says, He wants to protect them. He cares for them. He struggles with them. He shares their plight. He could have stayed in the, in, in, in the air-conditioned palaces of Para, but he went out in the heat and suffered alongside his brothers. That's, I think, the classical example of being But he sees something earlier in history. By Yesef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik, he was in jail together with the Sarah Mashkim, the Sarah Eifim. They have very frightening dreams. And Yosef could have said to him, and he, they wake up, they're all upset. They're very upset. Something is, is very much disturbing them. And Yosef didn't need that. Yosef could have very easily you know, looked the other way and said, these are Gayim, and I don't need to look at them, I need to help them. He didn't. He sees them, and he says to them, Madua pnechem roim hayim. Why is your face bad? Very similar lashon to what Hakadosh Baruch Hu says to Kayin. Lama naflu panecha. Lam madua pnechem roim hayim. What's wrong? I see something's upsetting you. Tell me what it is. So he went and he reached out to the saramashkim. He reached out to the sarayfim. Tell me what's on your mind. Something is bothering you. What is it? Share. And what happened as a result of it? They told him his dream, their dreams. He interpreted their dreams. Their dreams came to fruition. The interpretations that Yosef gave was spot on. And as a result of that, it wasn't instantaneous. But two years later, he was saved. He was brought up from the bar, brought into the house of Parai to interpret Parai's dreams when that was necessary. And he saved Mitzrayim, he saved his own family from the famine, and he became the, the mashpir of the entire earth. Why? How did this happen? What was the origin of the Hatzlacha of Yosef? How did Yosef become the, the, the great 
Yosef had tzaddik that he became, how was he able to be the viceroy of Mitzrayim to save the world? All because he asked one question, Madua Pnechem Ra'em Hayyim. We see the contrast between when a person doesn't look at somebody caringly and with a, a kind heart, kind word, commiseratingly, that's Hevel. Hevel dies. All because he didn't ask his brother, Yosef became the, the king of Egypt, the viceroy of Egypt. All because he asked this one simple question, something's bothering you, something's on your mind. What is it? Tell me. Before we get to the, 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 the macro lesson to be taken here, I want to just say a micro lesson to be taken here. And that is something that he also says about Yabaruch. And he was speaking to Yeshiva Bachem in the mirror. He was speaking to Talmidim. And he basically says that in Yeshiva itself, in Yeshiva itself, it's very important to be nice Bailam Chaveri. He brings a known story that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said to the altar from Slabotka that the main purpose of Hakamas HaYeshiva, what's the main purpose of Yeshiva? Yes, we learn Tyra. You can learn Tyra. You don't have to be in Yeshiva to learn Tyra. You don't have to be in Yeshiva. Sometimes I think, like, you know, it would be much cheaper just to, you know, like, Zoom everybody. Like, what do you have to have this big building and food and whatever? Send everybody home. We did it during COVID, right? It's much cheaper. It's much more efficient. You listen to Shirim online. It's a million Shirim online. You can listen to this Shir online. What do you have to be in Yeshiva for? What do we gain from being in Yeshiva? It's very costly. It's very, you know, you could do, do whatever you're doing. Do it remote. Rabbi Salanti says there's one major purpose of being in Yeshiva. And for that, the entire Yeshiva system was founded. And he said it's Lahachyais Ruach Shefalim Ulahachyais Lev Nitkaim. So Pasuk, it's quoted by the Ramam, by Benagaya Matanislavyainim Ampurim. But basically what it means is that the purpose of being in Yeshiva is to do like Hakadashbarhu, to breathe life into people that are feeling low about themselves, and to revive the hearts of those that are crushed. Meaning, to go to Shear, you don't need to, go to come to Yeshiva to go to Shear. You could do that online, go to your local shul. The main purpose of being in a Yeshiva, in any Yeshiva in the world, is in order to look at your friend, look at your roommate, at your chavrusa, at the guy sitting next to you in Shear. Notice what's going on with him and try to uplift him. Try to make him a whole person. Try to figure out what's wrong. What's bothering you? What's on your mind? I see something's on your mind. Madua We don't have this. We never have a roommate or a friend. And they were doing well and all of a sudden they, they look like horrible. And we don't know what it is. So sometimes, you know, 
Sometimes you ask, sometimes you just ignore it and say, okay, he's probably just in a bad mood, maybe something else. Maybe we can help that person. Maybe there are people that actually need us more than we know that they need us. Maybe we're much more powerful than we think we are. Sometimes, you know, we don't realize that charity starts at home. We're busy sometimes saving the world and we're doing Taim Shabbos and we're doing Hatzalah and we're doing Chaverim. We're helping random people with random problems and then our own friends need us. Our own people in yeshiva need us. There's so much to be done in the yeshiva itself to be nice about And this is true for you. It's true for me. It's true for, for everybody. Whoever's in this building, if there's something that is going on with the other person, that's why we're here. We're here to learn the art of helping somebody else when they need it. And it means sometimes you know, filling up the urn in the coffee room so that people have what to... That's also being nice. Worrying about other people. If somebody's sick in the dorm, to bring back food for them, to care for them, to help them, you know, get them notes from their classes or whatever that they might have missed. If somebody's struggling in sheer, he's not getting sheer, he's a little weaker than you are. So offer to learn with him a little bit. Pick him up. There's a million cases. We could spend the whole day discussing different things, what, what a person could do to help somebody else. But in yeshiva itself, this is the matara of the yeshiva. This isn't just like a shmuz that you know is nice on a when you have some free time. This is what we're here for. And when we're here, when we get that skill, when we're in yeshiva of neisabel chaverai, then we'll be able to be like the Josephs of our community. When we go out, we'll be able to help other people when they're having tzaras. We'll be able to help our wives if she's not doing well, and our children when they're not doing well and our parents, and our siblings, and our cousins, and our, our nephews, when they're not doing well, this is something that people, sometimes people instinctively know to do this. And sometimes people are oblivious to it. I'm doing well. What do I have to worry about them for? Let them worry about themselves. And I'll worry about myself. And Shalom Alei Nafshi, things are good. I'm doing quite well, thank you very much. And let them, I don't know, somebody else will take care of them. No, no, no. The person to take care of them is you. You're the one that they're waiting to, to knock on their door to help. Just merely saying good morning to people with a nice smile will pick a person up. But then if you go a step further and you ask them, what's doing, how are you? It's a tremendous midah. That's mamish v'alachta bedrachav. Lama charalach. V'lama Tell me what's on your mind. Which brings us, of course, to the macro lesson that we're living with today. <laughs> We're sitting here in America and we're reading the news obsessively about what's going on in Eretz Yisrael. Every new news item, if you're like me, you're swallowing it up. And I don't want to swallow I'd rather, I'd rather not look at it because it's horrific and all it does is like make me tremendously depressed. You know, and, and, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's an incomprehensible... Um, situation that we're facing this in, in these days that Yisrael has not faced in you know since the Holocaust, the amount of people that have been killed, slaughtered Al Kiddush Hashem in one day, and all the people, 150 perhaps people that are taken hostage, dead, alive, we don't even know in Gaza, which is not exactly the place that 
you ever want to go on a good day, but let alone on a day like today. And there are people, as we speak, this second, that they're going through. Imagine for a second what those people are going through that are in Gaza, in some dungeon somewhere, in some tunnel somewhere, without food, without water, without electricity. Why are they there? They're not different than you and me. They didn't do anything wrong. They're, they're Jews, we're Jews. If not for them, we would be there. If we would have been where they were, they were they, they didn't, they, there's no crime except for being a Jew. It's not about Israel and Zionism. It's not being Jewish. They'll kill us here on the streets of New York. They're, 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 they're equal opportunists. Equal opportunity terrorists, anti-Semites, Rishon. But as we speak now, just think about that for one second, not to get you crazy, but think about one second what they're going through at this moment in time. This isn't, we're not talking history. We're not talking future. We're not talking potential. Theoretics. This is right now. There are people going through this right now. And think about what the relatives of these people are going through. Think about what the relatives of people that were killed are going through. Think about all of the men, women, and children in Eretz Israel today that are, are scarred for life. Imagine if you're living in any community in Eretz Israel, realizing that perhaps you, know, you weren't as secure as you always imagined that you were, and that at any given moment there could be terrorists rushing into your house and Rahman al-Islam doing unthinkable atrocities. Imagine the scarring, the, the, the fear, the terror that Achinu B'nai Yisrael are experiencing as we speak. And then there's like the things that we're not even talking about, like the, the things that are, you know, that, that no one's, that they're smaller, but they're huge. People that, because of the lockdowns in Eretz Yisrael, because people are, are, are not going out in the streets, they're afraid to go, so all the makolets, all the businesses that are, that are not able to, to exist, the taxi drivers that are suffering because no one's taking taxis anywhere. Um, every businessman that needs to make, be mefarinous his family and he has no means, he has no way of getting out and doing business. And the, the tsarists that, 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 that are compounding on such people. The bills are coming in, the electricity bills and the credit card bills and the water bills and, and they have no way to pay them because they, they were assuming that they'd be able to go out and work, but they can't. Or they're in Milulim, they're on the front lines, and they you know, certainly can't do their businesses. There's a million and one things that every single Yid in Israel today needs our help. And there are many ways that we could you know, help in, you know, with money, or we could uh, package things, or we could do, and those are all Sadiq and Gemurim that are engaged in all of these campaigns that we see online of, of trying desperately to send over helmets and equipment and food and dolls and and coloring books and whatever you could do is unbelievable. But just merely feeling their pain is also something. Doing something for them in their zchus, saying tilim for them, which we have, davening for them, which we have, learning for them, which we have. Every time we learn something, this shir, let's, let's, let's dedicate this shmuz in the zchus of every single yid in Eretz Yisrael, and around the world, for that matter, that are scared, that are terrorized, that are sitting shiva, that are that are bepachad mavis. This chus that we have, that we came together this morning, and we're we're talking about these things, we're learning Torah, we're sharing ideas, we want to change, we want to improve ourselves. 
That's a tremendous chus for them. Feeling for them, feeling their pain, not allowing ourselves to just go about our day-to-day lives as if nothing happened. It's very easy to do that. It's quite easy to do that. We're living in America. We have freedom to go and walk the streets and be and do and, and in college and do our work. And, do, you know, we could just be, and we want to do that because it's very hard to be depressed and to think so much and so intently about what's going on there because we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, strain our own, our own peace of mind and, and we shouldn't. We have to be normal. We have to be functional. We have to be strong. But at the same time, we have to cry for them. We have to feel their pain, even if we do absolutely nothing in a, in, a, uh, in a physical, tangible way to help them. We're not packaging duffel bags and sending them off in a, you know, in a... But just feeling their pain, being nice about I feel for you. I'm sorry for you. I'm davening for you. I'm thinking about you. I'm learning for you. I'm calling my relatives and I'm texting them. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm with you. What can I do for you? Is there anything I could do for you here? Something. But just to be able to like put this huge bubble around ourselves, to imagine that they're there, and they, you know, this is the price that you pay for living in the Middle East, and we're here in the safe shores of America, Kaviachal. You know, that's not what a yid is supposed to do. We have to be better than that. We have to rise to much higher levels of expectations for ourselves. And I'm talking to myself as well. I'm not giving, I never preach something that, you know, that I'm not working on myself. It's, some, it's a job. It's an avayda because we want to be normal. We want to like compartmentalize our life and, and, not, and not dwell on it so much. But we have to. When another yid's in a tzara, then we have to be there for them. Tell you another story with Joseph. Um, there are so many of them there in that book, but there was a person. He was at a chasna. You know, sometimes you're at a chasna and, and mishulachim come, and they uh, you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody next to you, and there's a mishulach that comes and he taps you on the shoulder. Yeah, what do you you know? And he says, you know, tzedakah, and he sticks like a whole lot of bills in your face. And sometimes you give, sometimes you don't give. So somebody came over to Joseph at a chasna, at a wedding, and Joseph says, what's, he didn't just say, here's a dollar and like, leave me alone. He says, what, what are you collecting for? What's your, what's your issue? He says, I have, the doctor found um, some sort of uh, growth in my arm, and it's very severe, it's very, and, uh, and if I don't get a surgery right now, I'm going to lose my arm. Right now, they could, they could go into my arm and take it out, but it's, uh, you know, and that would save my arm, or else they're going to just have to amputate the arm. He says, the problem is I, they only do it here in America, and I don't have insurance in America, so I have to pay out of pocket. So he says to him, how much, how much is a surgery? How much do, does the doctor expect to make, you know, without insurance? He said, $100,000. And this is, $100,000 is, is still an awful lot of money, but this was going back probably 25 years ago when $100,000 was probably $250,000 today maybe. So he said, um, he said, $100,000 for an arm? That's cheap. It's like a mitzia. $100,000 for an arm. Save, a, save your arm is $100,000. I would say, okay, here's, here's $5, maybe if I was in a really good mood. Okay, now you just have to find you know, 20,000 other people to give you $5, and you're, and, you're, and you're done. 
So Joseph got up by the chasna, and he went around the tables to all these wealthy Syrian businessmen, and he put together within a few minutes the $100,000 and gave it to the guy. He says, now go save your arm. That's godless, right? That's not, this isn't, this isn't a mice with a mice of fine or the stipler. This is a regular, ordinary person. A regular, ordinary person. He nebuch died young. He had yenamachla, and he died very, uh, uh, very young himself. But a regular person. Just to be nice, I have to think about, I don't always have $100,000 to give out to people. That's true. So you could say, all right, that story is not negated to me either. I'm not, I'm not that. That's not the point. We always try to make chilukim. Okay, that does, that's not negated to me. Here's, well, of course, if I was well, there, just taking the message that he, he actually had a heart and an ear to listen and to process and to jump into action in any way possible, to commiserate with somebody and to feel their pain and to try as best as they can to, to mollify the person, to make the person feel good and to, and to, to ease, their, ease their suffering, to soothe their, their nerves. And this is something that, this is the takeaway from this parsha, from this beautiful Yisai that we, we learned together this morning to always try as best we can to be in general, but no greater time than the present, that we're literally in a matzah that was unprecedented in Klai Yisrael's history in the, last, in the last 80, 90 years. Never seen such things. And people that are Holocaust survivors say they never saw such a thing. They, it, it's unbelievable. You know, in the olden days, if you wanted to like, think about like, how heinous Arabs are, how disgusting, how vile, how, how animalistic they are, I would tell you, look at the pictures in Hebron 1929. In 1929, the Hebron Yeshiva, which was a branch of Slabotka, they opened the branch in Hebron, and the Arabs one day came in, and they literally... Butchered, literally. You see the. Don't look at the pictures. But if the pictures, I don't even want to describe the pictures. But they, they, they butchered the Jews there, and they, they, they cut off their limbs, and they. <laughs> and we thought, okay, but that was like in, in that was uh, you know pre the state in 1929. Now we have a state. We have tzal. We have chayalim. We have tanks. We have air F F thirty fives. Like yeah, we're, we're now we're good. We're safe. Did you ever, was it ever das that such a thing could happen in, in, in 2023? Is it possible to think, you all went to Eretz Yisrael, you all probably learned in yeshivas, I learned in yeshivas. You go there, you feel you're the king of the world when you're there. You have katsefet, and you have pizza, and you have falafel, you have shawarma, you have yeshivas, kailim, bakal mikol kol, it's a beautiful country, it's safe, it's secure, it's obviously here and there, there are terrorists, that mechablim, but this could never happen. And look at what happened, Laman Hashem. Look at what happens when there's no shmira. I'm not talking about the chayalim or bibi. Or, I'm talking about when the Rabbi Sham removes the shmira from Klai Yisrael for whatever reason. Look at what we are up against. Look at the shivim ze'evim, the 70 wolves that are so hungry, insatiable for Jewish blood. It's unbelievable. This is not normal. And we all feel it. We do feel it. I know that we feel it. I look around yeshiva. I see, I see the face in the room. I, I, everywhere. No one can be normal. It's not, if, you're not, if you're acting normal, then there's something not normal about you. 
if you could go through this and not feel, you know, hurt and disgust and, and, and shame and, and, and indignant, then there's something not normal with any, anybody that's able to just go about their normal business. But more than that, we have to not just feel it in terms of our own personal, like, I don't feel comfortable with this. this is something that's very, very, you know, scary for me. And that's, that's definitely something you have to deal with and process, and we all have that. But more than that, to feel the pain of the other Jews in the world in every, in every place that are suffering and, and they're also in pain and they're, and they're still being terrorized by bombs as we speak. And by... And, we have to learn this important to think and to feel what are they going through right now. Yes, I'm not comfortable, but what are they going through? They're in their bomb shelters, it's Shabbos, it's Yonder, it's a week from last Shabbos, they're probably thinking, you know, remember what happened last Shabbos. These are things that, you know, we're blessed to be in a country that hopefully provides us security but we are them and they are us we're one we're, we're, we're brothers we're them and when we see these images it's not just a curiosity it's not just political it's not just uh, it, it's, it's something personal it's very personal if, and ha- we all know people I think that were called up as reservists or as regular soldiers we have cousins we have uncles we have people there in Eretz Israel that are right now you know, literally about to start a ground invasion as we speak. We don't know what's going to be then. And you see about, you, you know people that are already killed in the army. I, I know somebody that, a 21-year-old chayal, uh, I knew his, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, a beautiful young man, and in the prime of his life just cut down by terrorists This past the past few days. We have to learn how to feel when we see the pictures of all the people that are hostage, the pictures of the people that were killed, the chayalim, the regular, you know, man, woman, and child. We have to cry for them. We have to feel it. We have to, it has to go in. It's not just a news story, not a curiosity like, oh, look at this person, look at that person. We have to feel it. This is us. And we're able to feel their pain. We're able to misachid with Klai Yisrael. Then that's the time <clears throat> that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will hopefully say, let's say, die, it's enough. Now it's enough. They got the message. It created achdos. It created the feeling of Lama Naflu Fanecha. I'm here for you. I'm worried about you. I, I think about you. I'm davening for you. I'm crying for you. And Amit Hashem, the Ebersher should send Mashiach Tzedkenu quickly, speedily in our days because we have never needed him more than today.